yours. Thank you. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Eric. My sobriety date is July 12th, 1993, and I'm a member of the Three Legacy Group here in Barrie, Ontario, Canada. We meet uh, Mondays and Thursdays, Mondays for a closed discussion meeting and Thursdays for an open speaker meeting. If you're ever up in our area, come see us. We'd love to see you. It's a, it's a great group of Alcoholics Anonymous. We believe in the Three Legacies. We practice the three legacies at that group. Um, I love my home group. Uh, about three or four of us started that group in 2009, and we get quite a following out to our to both meetings. And if you come to that meeting, you are going to get a warm handshake and a welcome, and you'll certainly get a solution-based meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. So... If anybody's ever in Toronto, Canada, we're about an hour north and come see us. We'd love to see you there. Um, I'd like to thank you, all of you, for, for letting me speak tonight. Uh, uh, my, uh, I'd like to thank Pac. Uh, I met a few of these guys when I was in Thailand this year. And uh, we started to get to know each other, started to hang around a bit at that conference and we had a real good time and it was great to meet all these guys. So it's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored and I'm privileged to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I believe that this is a, a form of service that we do. Uh, sometimes I like doing it. Sometimes I don't like doing it. The one thing I've come to know about alcoholics, they don't have opinions. They just draw strong conclusions and I'm no different. I can remember about 10 years ago, I was speaking at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and, a, and about five minutes into my talk, there was a guy in the front row who started to snore a little bit. And it got me off my game a little bit. Who was that? Where was that? All sorts of different things. About 15 minutes into my talk, he's got a honker going and it is driving me up the wall. It's the worst talk I've ever given. All I want to do is go home. And 30 minutes into my talk, he's got a Fred Flintstone snore going, and I'm going completely out of my mind. And finally, I said to the guy beside him, I said, could you please wake that fellow up? Some guy yelled from the back of the room, you wake him up, you put him to sleep. So I try not to take myself all that seriously in Alcoholics Anonymous. And keeping in the words of Dr. Bob, keep the Freudian complex, the scientific mind, AA's values of simplicity must prevail, and they do. I was down in Cleveland, Ohio, when I was a year and a half sober, and there was a man down there called Jack Sullivan. And Jack was a good old boy from Louisville, Kentucky. And he had a friend of his named Wino Joel from Tyler, Texas. And I don't know if any of you ever read those 20 questions that say you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic. Well, they were written by a psychologist out of John Hopkins University. And Jack and Joe used to get a little pissed off that a professional man would be calling an alcoholic an alcoholic. So they decided to write a few of their own questions. And one of them was, have you ever had the roof of your mouth sunburned? The other one, have you ever been arrested while in jail? The other one was, have you ever been uh, 
have you have you mastered the art of puking out of a moving vehicle without it ever coming back at you? And as you look around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, people are going, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. If that makes a lot of sense to you, you guys are all in the right place. Alcoholics Anonymous is your home. So keep coming back here. I came to my first meeting on July 11th, 1993. And I didn't come here to get sober. And the one thing I want to make clear to people is that a meeting one hour in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous can change somebody's life like that. My brother, Paul, had been four and a half years sober at that time. And a friend of his named Margaret T was getting a one-year medallion at the Bayview Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when you talk about AA being a, a, a attraction rather than promotion, I got to watch my brother for four and a half years, completely turn his life around. You know that saying, action speaks so loud, you don't have to say nothing. And I got to watch Paul in action, and I got to watch Alcoholics Anonymous in action for four and a half years. I saw this happen right in front of me on a daily basis. I saw him gain the respect of my parents back. I saw him gain the respect of my, my brothers back his friends back, his employer back. I saw it all, AA in action. And a friend of his, as I said, was getting a one-year medallion at the Baby Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Paul had never, ever mentioned anything about Alcoholics Anonymous to me unless I would ask a question about AA. But he never, ever said anything about AA. And for some reason that, that week, he said, Eric, we would really, Margaret would really like you to come to her one-year medallion. You see, I had started to get to know Margaret a little bit because she was very close friends with my brother. And I started to get to know her a little bit. And we started to have a little bit of a friendship in that. But she really, really wanted me to go to that medallion and so did my brother, Paul. Isn't it funny? The worst thing I thought I could have ever done to myself was come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. Isn't that weird? What I think, what I think is good for me. You know, I often think about step one when I talk about this because we're powerless over alcohol and hyphen and our life is unmanageable. And a lot of people think they get drunk over the first half of the first step. And we do. But the bottom line is, if I'm powerless over something, what am I going to do? I'm going to use and abuse that. And alcohol was one of those things. So if I'm powerless, I am going to drink until I find some kind of substitute, which is going to do the same for me as drinking did for me. So it talks about being powerless over alcohol, hyphen our lives in a manageable. And I really believe the unmanageability of my life and yours is the key to this whole thing. You see, when people talk about unmanageability to life, they usually talk about how much money they don't have, what kind of job they have, what kind of car they have, what kind of wife or husband, girlfriend, house, anything like that. The unmanageability of my life has absolutely nothing to do with anything on the outside. The unmanageability of my life is the most devastating six inches of space, the space between my ears. 
You see, I really believe, people, that it's my thinking. It's my thinking that got me into this jam. It's my thinking that I couldn't make decisions. My emotions were all over the place. And I needed to find a new manager. And I will get into that a little bit later. But for some reason, I ended up going to the Bayview Group of Alcoholics Anonymous on July 11, 1993. And I was doing all those things alcohol, alcoholics do. <clears throat> when they withdraw from alcohol, I was shaking, I was sweating, I was seeing things, I was hearing things. I was doing all those things because I had just come off about a two or three week bender. And it was day one, I think it was the second day that I was coming off that. And I ended up going to the baby group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you're new to AA, there's two things that happened to me that night. And I pray, I pray that this happens to you too. The first thing that happened to me that night when I walked in the room of that group that night, and as I said, the baby was about 200 people on its open meetings on Sunday nights. When I walked into the room that night, there were three people on each side of the door saying, welcome to the Bayview Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're glad to see you. And I don't know about you, but nobody had been glad to see me for an awful, awful long time. You see, my sponsor says to me, he says this to everybody. I really believe those people that stand at the door and shake hands is probably one of the most important jobs in Alcoholics Anonymous because an in-depth version of the fourth step really isn't going to do them a heck of a lot of good at that time, but a nice warm handshake saying, welcome to AA. The second thing that happened to me that night, there were people that were running around that room that were excited about being sober. And I don't know about you, but I was never excited about being sober. Because alcohol had always been my solution. It was my lover. It was my best friend. I could not imagine a life without alcohol. It's impossible. Who would ever want to do something that crazy? And besides, you guys don't know what a drink does for a guy like me. Little was I to find out you guys know exactly what a drink does for a guy like me. And here in Ontario, Canada, when we do medallions, we have the, the, the person that's receiving the medallions gets to pick all the people to read the steps, traditions, do the slogans, all that kind of stuff. And, and Margaret got everybody to pick and everybody gets up there and says a whole bunch of nice things about the person that's getting the medallion. They're lying most of the time, but you know, they say nice things and stuff like that. And then the medallion the person gets up there with their sponsor and the sponsor gets to say a bunch of nice things. And then the medallion recipient gets to say a bunch of nice things. And then, you, you know, it's a, it really is a beautiful, beautiful night. And it's a great thing for newcomers to see. And after that, the secretary comes up and she does the group report and gives out all the stuff. And I don't know in the UK or wherever you all are, if you guys give out chips. Well, in Toronto area, we give out chips in the first year of sobriety, nine months, six months, three months, one month, and, two, and, and, and a desire to stay sober. And you have to understand at this meeting, my whole family was there. 
My mom was sitting in the front row. A friend of my brother's was sitting in the, in, in the, in the next seat. My brother was sitting there and then I was sitting at the very end. And this lady named Marlene was getting up and she was doing the chips. And she said, is there anybody here with nine months of sobriety? Anybody here with six months? Anybody here with three months, one month? And then it got down to that desire chip. And she said, is there anybody here that has a desire to stop drinking? My whole family looked down at me like that. But I didn't want to do anything about my drinking. Because if you're anything like me, drinking is my solution. I can't imagine a life without drinking. As a matter of fact, halfway through this meeting that night, I start to panic that I've come to the wrong place. And by the way, I can't imagine a life without drinking. And you know what? You people don't know what a drink does for a guy like me. And little was I to find out in my journey that you guys know exactly what a drink does for a guy like me. And the lady that got up to speak that night, now you have to understand, usually in medallion nights, we, there's only an hour space and medallions take a little longer than a regular meeting. And, uh, and, and the speaker doesn't have a whole bunch of time to start talking much. So this lady got up to speak. Her name was Terry. And Terry was a counselor at the Renaissance Center in Toronto, which is a 12-step based treatment program. And she was a counselor there. And Terry didn't talk a lot about her drinking that night. What she talked about is how she felt when she wasn't drinking. You see, folks, nobody had ever identified the kind of person I was when I wasn't drinking. Everybody looked at all the bullcrap, the drinking, the alcohol, the jails, the the, 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 the scraps that I'd get myself into. And why wouldn't they? That's when all the crap would happen. But nobody looked at why I picked up a drink in the first place when there was heaps and heaps of evidence. Once I pick up a drink, I can't stop. And this lady identified the kind of person I was when I wasn't drinking. Nobody had ever done that. You see, everybody always focused on alcohol. Nobody ever focused on alcoholism until I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as that meeting went on that night, Terry started to talk about things like self-image. She started to talk about being restless, irritable, discontent. She started to talk about being full of fear, resentment, all, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, this was all when I was sober. And then she said, when I take a couple drinks, that stuff just seems to subside or go away. And as she's going through all these things, I'm saying to myself, that's me. That's exactly what happens to me. That's exactly the kind of person I am when I'm sober. I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontent. And you give me a couple drinks of alcohol, and all of a sudden it's like this. Whew. 
And then she said, my only problem is I'm alcoholic. And once I start drinking, I can't stop. And I said, that's me. That's exactly what happens to me when I pick up a drink of alcohol. And about halfway through that meeting that night, I started to catch just a tiny, tiny bit of alcoholism. Not much. Just a little bit. And when that meeting was over that night, I was a full-blown alcoholic with the disease of alcoholism. And folks, I haven't had a drink since. The power in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, I believe that God speaks through people. I believe an hour in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous can change somebody's life like that. And I went up to a friend of my brother's and his name was Eldon. And I said, Eldon, I think I have a problem with booze and I want to do something about it. And he said, you know, you're going to have to quit all that other stuff too. And I said, I know I'm going to have to do that. You see, that night, I saw myself the way my mom saw me. I saw myself the way my dad saw me. I saw myself the way my brother saw me, my friend saw me, my employer saw me. I saw myself the way everybody saw me. And I knew the gig was up. And you want to know the funny thing? I knew I was going to be okay. I knew there was something here. You see, I believe that something happened to me that night. Some kind of spiritual experience, some kind of spiritual awakening, some psychic change that night. I didn't realize it till about two years later. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, folks. I'm a little, I'm a little slow. As a matter of fact, the people I hung around with before I came into AA, they weren't all that sharp either. No. We'd say, look at the dead bird. We'd all look up. Crazy. Crazy. And that's where my journey started on Alcoholics Anonymous. That night, July 11th, 1993. My sobriety date is July 12th, 1993. And I can sit here today, folks. And say that I'm sober today and I'm not unhappy about it. And that was my problem. Every time I was sober, I was unhappy. And give me a couple drinks. At that, at least, that would give me the illusion for a brief period that everything was just okay. And then at the end of my drinking, folks... I just drank so I didn't have to think of who and what I'd become. It was as simple as that. And then after a period of time, that doesn't even work anymore either. I don't talk a lot about my drinking because most of the stuff I remember never happened. <laughs> but I will tell you a little story about my drinking. It's about an old man walking down a cold and dark road and, uh, He's, he's, he walks down this road and he gets onto a beach and he's walking around the beach. He's all hammered up and he knocks in the sand with his foot and he picks up a bottle. 
And he opens up the cork and out comes a nine foot genie. And the genie says, I'm here to give you three wishes of anything you'd like. And the alcoholic says, I'll have an everlasting bottle of whiskey. Bang, there it is. Puts it up to his mouth for 15 seconds, puts it down, it fills right back up to the top. The alcoholic goes, this is amazing, but uh, you know, the way we are, we don't trust all that much. He says, I'm gonna haul on this sucker for 30 seconds. Hauls on that sucker for 30 seconds, puts it down, fills right back up to the top. He says, okay, I'm gonna haul on this baby for one minute. Hauls on that baby for one minute, puts it up, still fills right back up to the top. The genie goes, do you believe me now? And the alcoholic goes, yeah, this is a miracle. I've been looking for this all my life. And the genie goes, you got two more wishes. And without a beat, the alcoholic said, I'll have two more of these. That's the way I drank. It was never, ever enough. If anybody ever tells you, you drink too much, I don't believe that for a second. My problem is, is I can't drink enough. And alcohol, what it did for me for periods of time, the promises in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous come true. When I had one or two drinks, I'd find a new happiness and a new freedom. No doubt about it. When I had four or five drinks, I'd intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle me. And when I had seven or eight drinks, financial insecurity would just go out the door. I wouldn't even think about it anymore. And when I had nine or 10 drinks, I knew that alcohol was doing for me what I could not do for myself. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. You see, alcohol always gave me the illusion that these things were coming true in my life. And then you guys know the story. You know the story. I would wake up the next morning and I'd feel that fear, that resentment, that restless, irritable discontent. I would feel that double. And the only way to get rid of that was just to have a couple drinks. If you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, I pray that you find out what your problem is. You see, even though my brother Paul had been in this beautiful program for four and a half years before I came in, do you know what my idea of an alcoholic was? Some guy sitting down in downtown Toronto with a long coat, with a long beard, with long hair, with a jug of juice and a paper bag. Thank God for AA. Thank God for the doctor's opinion. Thank God for the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in its first 52 pages. You see, in the first 52 pages of Alcoholics Anonymous, the book, it talks about two things. It talks about what happens to Eric when he drinks and what happens to Eric when he doesn't drink. And I had no idea that once I pick up a drink of alcohol, I can't stop. And I had no idea that once I stop drinking, all I can think about is where am I going to get my next drink? And the doctor's opinion explains our, our disease so, so beautifully. I had no idea when I picked up that first drink that I had developed this thing called the allergy of the body and the fun on a craving. Once I started drinking, I couldn't stop. And that had been proven to me over and over and over again. The only two, there's only three times I ever stopped drinking. Only three times I ever stopped drinking once I started. 
One was if I passed out. Two was if I had no money left. And three was if there was no booze left. Those were the only times I stopped drinking for those three reasons. My other problem is once I, st- once I stop drinking, all I can think about is where am I going to get my next drink? And Dr. Silkworth called that the obsession of the mind. It's like a big fat idea that outweighs every other idea in my head till I say something like this, which I'm sure none of you spiritual giants here have ever said, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to drink like a gentleman. And I never, ever could. I tried so hard to drink like a gentleman. I almost killed myself trying to do that. And then they talk about the third part of our illness. And that's the spiritual malady. And there was an old timer. He was my sponsor's sponsor. And I've never heard alcoholism described the way he described it. He said, alcoholism is a soul sickness, gangrene of the soul. And he said, once we straighten out spiritually, we will straighten out physically and emotionally. And and we will just go on to live the life that we were meant to live in the first place, you know? And I thank God for that. My first sponsor to me, he said, Eric, it's a first drink that gets you drunk. I said, Jerry, you're a bad drinker. First drink that gets you drunk. Are you kidding me? Come on now. But I'm going to tell you a few stories about the first drink. We were members of a country club, and a country club is an alcoholic's paradise. They give you whatever you want. They don't care how old you are. It's a private club. And the beautiful thing your dad gets the bill at the end of the month. It really is a beautiful thing for practicing alcoholics. I still remember the number I had to put on the chip, age 920, and it got me whatever. Now I'm 16 years old. We're about a 15 minute walk from the country club. I'm 16 years old on a Monday night and I would go down to that country club by myself. I would go down there to have a few drinks, watch a little Monday night football, play a little cards in the card room, maybe have a nice steak or something to eat. 16 years old. If somebody had to come up to me at that time and said, Eric, you are in the early stages of alcoholism. Do you know what I would have said to them? Yeah, but I'm having fun. And as long as an alcoholic's having fun, they will never quit drinking. As a matter of fact, Even if we think we're going to have fun, we will never quit drinking. And I would go on and I'd stumble home that night. And on the fifth or sixth of every month, my parents got separated at this time. My dad would get that bill in the mail. And he would phone me immediately. And he'd say, Eric, you've done it again. You can't keep doing this to me. This is costing me way too much money. And you know what I'd say to my dad? And I meant it. I didn't want to do that kind of stuff to my parents. My parents were two of the most unselfish people in the world. 
They gave us everything we needed, not everything we wanted. They gave us the love we needed. And I know that's not everybody's story, but it's my story. And I didn't want to do that kind of stuff to my dad. But alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And about two months later, I would start thinking to myself. And the worst thing an alcoholic can do is think too much. And I'd start thinking to myself and I'd say something like this, which again, I'm sure none of you spiritual giants here have ever done. I wonder what he meant by that. He didn't mean stop drinking forever, let things cool down a bit. And I would rationalize it and I justify it just to the way I wanted to see it. Two months later, I went into Baby Country Club for one drink. I left Baby Country Club about eight hours later so drunk, so disgustingly drunk. I made an ass of myself and I made an ass of my family and I didn't want to do that. That's what one drink of alcohol does to a guy like me. I'm coaching top level hockey here in, in Canada and my team is 11 and one in November. I took taking over an Ontario championship hockey team and my team is 11 and one in November. And I get called into the president's office and his name's Dave McDonald. And Dave says to me, Eric, there are people all over me about your drinking. He says, I think I got to let you go. But alcoholics are good conners too. We can con our way just about out of anything. And for some reason, he said, Eric, you can stay. But you have to promise me two things. He said, the number one thing is you must seek professional help. No problem, Dave. I had absolutely no intention of seeking professional help. As a matter of fact, I thought Dave should seek professional help for asking me to seek professional help. And the second thing, and this is the kicker. He said, you can't drink in Double Rink Arena's bar. Folks, he's not even asked me to quit drinking. He's just saying, Stay at a one bar in Toronto. That's it. And Toronto is a huge city. Stay at a one bar. No problem, Dave. About two weeks later, I'd start thinking to myself. And I think I said to you guys, the worst thing an alcoholic can do is think too much. And I'd start thinking to myself and I'd say something like this. Geez, I, I wonder what he really meant by that. He didn't mean stop going there forever. He meant let things cool out a bit and I'd rationalize it and I'd justify it just to the way I wanted to see it. Two weeks later, I was in, we had a hockey game at Double Rink Arenas at 11.30 on the morning on a Saturday. I went into Double Rink Arenas bar for one drink at one o'clock that afternoon. I left Double Rink Arenas at about eight o'clock that night. So drunk, so disgustingly drunk. I made an ass of myself again. And I didn't want to do that. That's what one drink of alcohol does to a guy like me. And if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous and you build up a bright outlook upon you and your family and you continue to tear that down on a senseless number of sprees and you fail to recognize without sufficient force the pain and humiliation of a day, a week or a month ago, and you continue to do that over and over and over again, and you're not alcoholic, what are you? What are you? 
you would do well to contract this illness. This is the only illness in the world that Alcoholism is the loneliest disease around. It sucks the life out of everybody around us till we wear them out and they just can't take it anymore. And the beautiful thing is we have a solution here with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the practical program of action that's outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've often thought there are people that are sitting in hospitals right now, sitting on cancer wards, sitting on cardiac awards, that they don't have a hope, that they are, they are, they are going to die. And I often think that if you were to go up to them with a book like ours and say, if you read this and you do what's in this book, this will give you three more days on this earth. Do you know what those people would do? They would jump out of bed for the opportunity. Do you know what alcoholics are saying? We'll think about it. And this thing is killing people more and more and more than all those other diseases. It gets marked down to a whole bunch of different things. <clears throat> but the reality is, is alcoholism is, 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 a, is a killer. Is a killer. As I said, after my first meeting that night, my brother Paul said to me, he said, I don't want you to pick a home group. I don't want you to pick a sponsor. I'm going to take you to 30 meetings in 30 days. And that's exactly what my brother did. He took me to 30 meetings in 30 days. I ended up picking the baby group of Alcoholics Anonymous to be my home group. I stayed there for 15 years. I ended up picking a guy named Jerry C to be my sponsor. I thought he was an Italian gangster. He turned out just to be Italian. But Jerry was one of those guys that was in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I again pray that you try to find some sponsor or somebody that you want to be like. Don't go looking for somebody that's like you. Why do I want to look for somebody that's like me? I'm trying to change who I am. And Jerry was one of those guys that I wanted to be like. He was in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was busy in service and he got me busy in service. I can remember my first business meeting. We would do a business meeting for group business every 30 days, every month. And I can remember my first business meeting. Jerry said to me, I just want you to sit there. I want you to take it all in and I don't want you to say anything. And that's what I did. And towards the end of the meeting, they go, we need people to set up the baby group Thursdays and Sunday nights. And Jerry put up his hand and I thought, what a great sponsor I picked. You know, this guy's great. He said, Eric will take care of Sundays and Thursdays. And it was the greatest thing in the world because it got me involved in AA. I would be at that meeting, an eight o'clock meeting on Thursdays at 630. I'd be at that meeting. It was an 8.30 meeting on Sundays. I'd be there at 7 o'clock. And we'd have the meeting before the meeting. Then we'd have the meeting. Then we'd all go out for fellowship afterwards. There's about 
25 or 30 of us. And there was nothing like it. Just being with a bunch of alcoholics, laughing and scratching and having a good time. It was unbelievable. <clears throat> and I really, the enthusiasm that was in that group. And Jerry said, you know what? He said, we're not going to wait three years before until you feel better till we go through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. He took me through the steps to the best of his ability and the best of my ability at that time. My life really, really turned around for in the first couple of years of sobriety. And then something devastating happened to me and I wasn't equipped for it. And about three and a half years, I went through this period that was a real dark period. And I realized at that time, I don't think I realized, I'll go in, but I realized at that time why I drank in the first place. Because I was starting to feel stuff that I've never felt before. And I realized at that time, the reason I've never felt this stuff before is because I was continuously burying it with alcohol. And I never let myself feel. And at about three and a half years sober, Jerry was going through some personal problems. And he said, Eric, I think you got to find a new sponsor. And I ended up finding a new sponsor. His name was Bill Clearwater. Uh, and Bill's dead now, but he doesn't mind. He never minded me saying his last name. He always said, and it was the greatest thing that happened to me because for the first time, I got to see the program that I didn't have. And what I mean by that is Bill Clearwater took me through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page by page, line by line. And I got to see the program that I didn't have. And I got to learn what that book is all about. You see, that book is really asking a lot of us. And it really is a, a, a tough, tough book. To, to do. Thank God at the end of step 12, where it says, what an order, I can't go through with it. None of us have been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to this program. What we strive for here in Alcoholics Anonymous is spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Billy also, he would take me through that book and we got through the fourth step, we got through all the steps. And at the end of step 12, he said, Eric, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And Billy said it was really important. If we're going to do this thing, we've got to learn and we've got to find out what the principles at each step that they're talking about. And we've got to practice them in our lives. And that's exactly what Bill did. He, he, he had a, a list of principles for each step. And Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't necessarily have their own, but he had a list of 12 principles that we have to live our life by. And I started to do that. I would read them every morning and I'd get them stuck in my head. I'd read it and read it and read it every morning, get it stuck in my head about these principles. He said, the other thing we do he said, you promised me at the beginning when we go through this, you promised me two things, that I would go to any length to do what he did and to get what he got. And he said, the second thing is to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And I've spent a lot of the last 25 years taking people through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
and they think I'm the greatest in the world. And they're busy saving my life. That's the deal. And, you know, I get to see people. I get to sit across the table from them, watch them go through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and watch their lives change. You see, it says in the book, we try to carry the message. I'll be honest with you, folks. Lots of the guys I've taken through the book, they're drunk or they're dead. There's lots of people that have been successful that I've taken through the book. But you know what the reality of it is? Is good old Eric is here sober with you guys today. And that's all it asked me to do. Just try to carry the message. And that's what I've been trying to do for the last 30 years in this wonderful program. Us. Going through COVID, it was a little tougher to do that. And I've really started to get back and do it. I got away from doing it for a while. But I'm taking a few guys through the book now. And I start to feel, I start to feel this, this thing coming back again. <clears throat> and there's nothing like it. Very rarely, it's interesting. I don't know about you guys, but very rarely, every once in a while, I get this overwhelming feeling of gratitude that is indescribable. But every time that happens... I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And you want to know what, folks? I have been chasing that feeling all my life. That's just the reality. And it was always right here in Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I had a feeling of uselessness. I had no purpose in my life. I had no effectiveness in my life. And today I have a huge purpose. I'm effective and I have a usefulness that is indescribable. I believe the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this little thing that I'm going to get out of here, okay? I believe the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is simply geared towards three simple things. I believe this is what the whole program is all about in reality for me. Some people will disagree with me. And I share this because I've had 30 years of experience. And I thank God for the people when I came in that shared their 30 years of experience with me because it was incredibly valuable. Do you know those white lines that are in between the black lines in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous? It's those old timers that fill those white lines in. It really is. So if you can get around these old timers, please hang on to them because their wisdom is beyond. I believe the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the number one thing the big book is geared towards is to find a power greater than yourself. As a matter of fact, it says in our book, the main objective of this book is to find a power greater than yourself. And you know what the beautiful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is? We're not even telling you what to believe in. What a great deal. You see, we want you to believe in something that makes sense to you, not to me. All those other religions, and I'm not knocking any of them. 
but they tell you what to do so they can believe in their God. In AA, we're saying the exact opposite. Has anybody ever read Bill's story? Well, yeah, you've all read Bill's story. You're an AA. Well, there's a little part in Bill's story where an old school chum of his named Ebby Thatcher gives Bill Wilson a call one day and says, Bill, I got to come see you. Something's happened to me. And Bill goes, come on over, Ebby. And Bill thinks Ebby's going to come over and they're going to have just the greatest time, talk about old times, drink up a storm, enjoy. Ebby knocks at the door. Bill opens up the door. There's Ebby Thatcher looking like a million bucks. And Bill sits him down. They sit across the table from each other. Bill pours a little gin in a shot glass, throws it down to Ebby. Ebby goes, no thanks. Bill goes, what do you mean, no thanks? And Ebby Thatcher says to Bill Wilson, I found religion. And Bill thinks to himself right away, last year, alcoholic crackpot, this year, religious crackpot. He says, no big deal. My gin will last a lot longer than his ranting anyways. Not a big deal. But he says he didn't rant in any way whatsoever. And I believe what Ebby Thatcher said to Bill Wilson that night was the miracle before even Alcoholics Anonymous began. And he said to Bill Wilson that night, and I'm paraphrasing this, he said, Bill, why don't you find a God of your own understanding? And you have to understand, Bill Wilson had had his full share of religion growing up, and he was sick of it. So at that time, I believe, I like to believe this, it might be true, might not be true. I believe at that time for Bill Wilson, it became a spiritual message, not a religious message. The second thing, and if, if, if I look at it today, and how, what did I come to believe when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous? I came to believe in AA that first night at the meeting. It was impossible not to see that something was going on there. The second thing I came to believe in is the group and my sponsor. And the third thing, if you were to ask me, what is Alcoholics Anonymous all simply trying to develop my relationship with this power? And how do I do that? <clears throat> I put God first, other people second, and me third. And I'm not constantly trying to run around and satisfy my own instant desires. Either we believe what's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or we don't. The, the big book is black and white. There's nothing controversial in there, confrontational. It says we suggest our experiences. We strongly suggest sometimes. But there's nothing controversial in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that book tells me that the root of my illness is selfishness and self-centeredness. We must be rid of that, it says. So if I'm to achieve that, I have to learn to become God-centered and selfless. And by putting God first, other people second, and me third, at times I'm able to achieve that. The second thing I think the big book is geared towards 
is to love yourself again. I've never met anybody who walked through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous that has a good self-image of who they are. I've never met anybody who walked through the doors that loves who they are. I've met hundreds of people walk through the doors that are in love with themselves, but I've never met anybody who actually loves who they are. And I think the second thing the big book is geared towards is to, is to like and to love who we are. Become productive members of Alcoholics Anonymous and take that out and become productive members of society. The third thing I think the big book is geared towards, in the doctor's opinion, it says that we are people that are full flight from reality. Folks, it doesn't say we're a little out of touch. It says we are full flight. And I think the third thing the book is geared towards is to get us back into reality, to accept life on life's terms, to deal with the real world out there. Number one, to find that power. Number two, to like and to love who we are again. Number three, to get back in touch with reality and to set life on life's terms and become a productive member of Alcoholics Anonymous and a productive member of society. As I told you earlier on, I have a purpose and effectiveness and a usefulness in my life. My name is Eric House and I'm an alcoholic. And I can say for the past 30 years, Without a doubt, I have made a decent contribution to society, and I don't know what else anybody could ask for. I always end my talks a little story. It's about an old man walking down a cold and dark road. In the middle of the road, he sees a snake, and the snake says to the old man, please pick me up and nurse me back to I'm dying. He says, I can't do that. He says, if you're a poisonous reptile, if I pick you up, surely by and the snake said, not if you saved my life. So the old man picked up the snake, put him on the inside of his jacket. And when the snake got to feel a little bit better, he bit the old man. The old man threw him back down to the ground. He said, I thought you said you wouldn't bite me if I saved your life. And the snake looked at him with a snickering grin and said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. My friends, if you're in the confines of a bar room, cocktail lounge, or even your own living room, and you decide to take the plug out of the jug or the cork out of the bottle, rationalize it to those that will listen. Justify it to yourself. If you've been here, and if you know me, and if you met us, you knew what it was when you picked it up. May the God of your understanding be with you all. Thank you for having me here today.